Paul faced an overwhelming task when he arrived in the city of Corinth. There's evidence that he was overwhelmed too, but living on the Lord, the Lord provided everything necessary for God's gospel ministry in that holy place. That's what we're going to be looking at this afternoon. Paul's ministry, especially beginning in Corinth. Now, if you will turn to page 13 in your bulletin, and I want to just show you this map one more time. We're at the tail end of Paul's second missionary journey. He started in Antioch on the far right side of the map, and he moved up through Galatia, and there that area that's under Asia in big letters to Troas, up to the coast of Macedonia and the Philippi, we saw some new ministry there. Then following a line down to Thessalonica and Berea. Three verses of our passage, we're going to see Paul go all the way back on those lower arrows that mostly are passes by ship through the Mediterranean Sea, down to Caesarea, to Jerusalem, and back out to Antioch, where he first started. So that helps you orient to where Paul is moving in his journey. Paul's last stop. Today, Greece. His sermon there in Athens was in front of philosophers, and he focuses that sermon on the living God that everyone knew because of what they could see in creation. Now, some believed, a few, but many of those philosophers mocked him. Eventually, Paul moved on and he pressed further south to the great city of Corinth, and that's of course where our text begins. Corinth was a huge commercial hub in the region. It had two ports. Trade was what had brought it fame. One commentary points out that in the markets you could likely buy Arabian balsam wood, Libyan ivory, Babylonian carpets, Cilician goat's hair, Lycaonian wool, and Ephrygian slaves. It was an incredible place to acquire things. It was a lot like the God. It was also known for its widespread sexual immorality as well. There was a temple dedicated to Aphrodite, the goddess of love, which sat high above the city on an outcropping, and there a thousand triple prostitutes stayed and then roamed the city during the night. There's good reason to think that Paul was getting weary, perhaps worn down. Maybe discouraged and in his heart, despite all that the Lord had done up until this point in his missionary journey. Writing about his arrival in Corinth, Paul writes in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 of his first letter to the Corinthians. And by the way, I encourage you to go and read his letters. We have two of them, of course, in the New Testament written to the Corinthians. That will help you understand as you read through this passage. He says in that first chapter, verses 1 and 2, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trouble. Maybe it was the ministry in 
happens that they take a toll on him? Maybe Corinth was intimidating as he arrived and surveyed the city. Still, Paul was going to rely on that same old goodness of Jesus Christ in Corinth that he'd been proclaiming ever since God had mercifully struck him down on that road to Damascus. He says in verses 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God in lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When we're weak and discouraged, that's oftentimes the time that the Lord shows us just how much He's the one sustaining us and leading us forward rather than any energy or intelligence that we have. Our ministry is ultimately the Lord's ministry, and He supplies everything necessary for us to do it, even in the hardest of places. Now, as we move through the text today, we're going to see six ways that the Lord provided what was essential for Paul's challenging ministry in Six ways. And the first thing that he provided for Paul was the first thing that he provided for Joanne and I when we arrived in Dubai. It was partners, new partners. We see that in verses when Paul arrived in Corinth, the Lord led him to meet the Jewish husband and wife team of Tola and Priscilla. They were from what is today known as Northeastern Turkey, but they had most recently lived instead to the west of Achaia and Corinth, there in Rome, Italy. But the Roman ruler had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. So Aquila and Priscilla had come from the west and now lived in between the east and the west, there in the corner. The text doesn't really tell us how they came to faith, but it makes the most sense to assume that they were already Christians living that fall. They joined the team of Paul and Silas and Timothy and became trusted ministry partners. At the end of Paul's letter, to the Romans, he writes, Greek, Prisca, and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Eventually, Priscilla and Aquila will be known throughout the Mediterranean world, and all the churches for their ministry. Paul counted both husband and wife, his partners in ministry. Now we're going to learn next weekend, next Friday, more about Priscilla and Aquila. Despite Paul's teaching that elders should only be men, Paul had great respect for the ministry of fellow Christians who were married or unmarried women as well. It's clear throughout the New Testament. I consider every one of you who are members of Covenant to be my partners in ministry. Every one of you. All the men and all the women. Joanna Matthew is just as much a partner to me as this is Joella Thibodeau is just as much a partner in gospel ministry with me as evidence. Katrina and Jules and Serena are all gospel partners with me. Gender is no barrier. 
we, many commentators have concluded that Silas and Timothy brought with them financial gifts from those churches up north that enabled Paul to stop making tents for some time and give his attention full time to preaching the gospel very The Christian Standard Bible translates what it describes about Paul's ministry that Paul was devoted himself to preaching the word. It gives us that idea that he's shifted into full-time ministry mode. Paul's conviction had always been the same. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah, sent from God. Paul's whole ministry is founded on that rock-solid truth. But the Jews in the synagogue here eventually opposed him and angrily criticized him. They were rejecting the gospel, and so Paul did what he had done in city after city. He declared them responsible for their rejection of Christ, and he turned and began to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Paul's final words to the Jews were a strong warning, taken right from Scripture in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. Luke quotes it for us here. He says, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. That's from Ezekiel chapter 33. And then Paul goes on to say, now I will go to the Gentiles. So when Paul said, your blood be on your own heads, Paul is saying that the goodness of Jesus Christ requires a response. It calls for a decision. And Paul believed that he had fulfilled his responsibility as a messenger from God to announce that good news. And then it was their responsibility to respond. All mankind stands condemned for their sin against the God who made us in his image. We were meant to represent him by being like him, but we rebelled against him instead. We will stand before Christ and judge at the end of time. The scriptures are clear. What will we say? What could protect us from Christ's just condemnation to eternal punishment for our sin? We know yes. There won't be any way out of it on that day. But amazingly, amazingly, our deliverance has already been provided for. Christ, the judge, actually came into the world 2,000 years ago, not to judge, but to save, to forgive, to acquit, to deliver. Paul was pleading with them, make a decision now before it's too late. I say the same thing to you. Have you decided? Just now, from my lips, you've heard the essence of the good news of Jesus Christ. And I can say in all seriousness, what will you do? Will you choose to value gratitude to Christ the Savior? Or will you wait to be condemned by Christ's judge? The way of forgiveness is open now. Choose life, choose grace, choose Jesus as Savior and King. Repent and trust in Him. Most of the Jews of Corinth had 
chosen to continue rejecting God's favor and the gospel. But a few of them, and then many of the Armenian Gentiles, chose to put their faith in Christ's favor. Only deep convictions about the truth of the gospel and God's plan for the Gentiles, as well as for the Jews, to all be invited into the kingdom of God, could have brought Paul to the point of turning away from his people, the Jews, and sharing the gospel with the Gentiles. He was convinced about that plan of God's Ironically, to do that very thing, to turn from the Jews to the Gentiles, meant merely for Paul to move to the house that was next door to the synagogue there in the It was owned by a man named Titius Justice. And there's nothing, nothing more encouraging than seeing people become Christians. It must have lifted Paul's spirits to begin to see the Gentiles respond by believing. It says many of the Corinthians believe. And so in verse 8, Luke describes the converts which God made in response to Paul's faithful work in that difficult city. That's the third point this afternoon. Converts. We see it in verse 8. God provided converts. Look at the thing in verse 8. Christus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians straight Paul believed and were baptized. So the leader of the synagogue and his family turned to Christ, and when Paul began preaching the gospel to the Gentiles in the house of Titius Justice, many became Christians, and they were being baptized. Seeing people come to Christ in the midst of a season of difficult ministry is incredibly encouraging. It's happened to me. Maybe even just seeing one person turn to Christ lives on spirits that God is at work. The preacher C.H. Spurgeon said this The master passion of every Christian is to be useful. There should be a burning zeal within us to the glory of God. When the man who desires to be useful has his plans, sets about his work, he begins to look out for the results. But perhaps it will be weeks or even years before the results will come. The worker is not to be blamed that there are no fruits as yet, but he is to be blamed if he is content to be without fruit. God usually gives a measure of success, some fifty-fold, some a hundredfold. When the success comes, it is the joy of others to be. We don't get to see Jesus calm the storm. We don't get to have been there when Jesus fed the 5,000 or to raise Lazarus and see him come out of the grave alive again. We only get to read about it. But when someone turns to Christ in faith, we are seeing the greatest miracle of all. New life. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians describes that miracle. He witnessed every time one person even there in the one trusted Christ. He says in that second letter to the Corinthians, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God. Who through Christ 
Preach truth to your fears. Preach truth to your fears. And if the Lord is with you, who or what can be against you? Well, possibly could have been considering laying low for a while, maybe keeping quiet until the opposition calmed down. But the Lord addressed all of that as well. He said, Go on speaking and do not be silent. And the Lord gave him two reasons in addition to his presence. First, he said, no one will attack you to harm you. Of course, Paul's memories of being stoned in Lystra on his first missionary journey and being beaten in Philippi must have been vivid. And the Lord was, the Lord was making a promise to him, and his promises are sure. Second, the Lord promised continued success in seeing people being saved. And the way he did it was he said, For I have many in the city who are my people. Paul could write in his letter to the church at Ephesus later, in later years, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And about God, he also said, He predestined us for adoption to himself. There were unbelievers whose names were written already in the Lamb's Book of Life, and the Lord was using people like Paul and his partners, as well as the New Corinthian believers, to bring them to faith. They had not come to faith yet, but the Lord knew that they would come to faith. Some people only think that God's sovereign work in the salvation of people is perhaps a reason not to share the gospel. They say to themselves, if the Lord wants to save people, he's going to do it without us. So what's the use? Well, perhaps he will do it without you. But he'll not do it without someone. Someone else sharing the gospel with them. Somehow the gospel of God getting to them. Christians sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is God's means of revealing the people whom he has already chosen to come to faith. That's how that works. And that sovereignty of God, that unstoppable purpose of the Lord to save his chosen ones is the very thing that should light a fire in our hearts to obey him in evangelism. Because there's people that God has out there just waiting to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. There are many people here in the Bible who are God's people but are still in their unbelief and ignorance that and God's sure plans to save them give you and I confidence to persevere and share our God's words did just that for They gave confidence. With the reassurance of the Lord speaking to him in the vision, Paul stayed another year and a half boldly teaching and preaching. And eventually, the Jews did mount a united attack on and the Lord's words of reassurance were tested. But the Lord's word proved true. No harm came to fall. He was further strengthened in ministry then by the Lord's protection. That's the fifth point this afternoon. Protection. We see it in verses 12 through 17. Protection was what the Lord gave Paul in an unlikely way. Corinth was the Roman colony, and there it was. Judaism was an authorized religion 
in the Roman Empire. And the Jews of Zamora brought Paul before the tribunal, which was overseen by the Roman proconsul, Galilee. Their charge against Paul was that he was persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. They essentially wanted the tribunal to rule that Paul's Christianity was a totally new religion that wasn't authorized like their Jews. But Galileo would have none of that. Before Paul could even open his mouth to defend himself, Galileo spoke up and ended the hearing. And his argument was simple. He said, if you Jews were alleging that Paul committed a serious crime, I would accept your complaint. And then he goes on in verse 15 to say, but since the matter is a matter of questions about words and names, and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge, as he said. Basically, through their court case. He's telling them that their arguments was all were dominant among Jews, and he wasn't prepared to give a ruling based on Roman law. And with that, he drove them out, and the crowd, likely filled with the Gentiles' prejudice against Jews, grabbed Sosthenes, the man who had probably displaced Christus as the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him right there in front of the tribunal. And Paul went free. Galileo paid no attention to it from that. Paul could never have guessed that the Lord would have protected him by working through an unbelieving and uninterested Roman protocols. And we never know how the Lord is going to protect us either. He can work in all situations in any number of ways. God can change the heart of the boss who doesn't like you. He can cause circumstances that you and I know nothing about to all fit together for our protection. Have you ever considered that there are countless ways that the Lord has protected you already in your life that you know nothing about? You don't even know. And when Paul was attacked in Lystra, the Lord was in control. And Paul continued on. When Paul was protected in court, the Lord was in control. And he continued on. And when Paul's life would eventually be taken from him in Rome, even then, Paul was protected because he stepped through death and into everlasting life in the presence of Jesus. That's his ultimate protection. Paul could say then to live as Christ, to die as he. Win-win. That's the life of Christian. I don't imagine that any of you have received a direct revelation from God promising that no harm will come to you, and yet, yet he protects us time and time again. One day, we walk through that door of death. Even then, even then, we will have been protected. Protected by his very here in Corinth, the Lord had promised that no harm would come to Paul. It came to pass. And so Paul stayed even longer, many days longer, it says in verse 18. The last thing that the Lord provided for Paul was actually a new direction or a new plan, a plan to leave and head towards home. That's the sixth point of Saturday, a plan. We see it in verses 18 through 23. Paul had come to Corinth discouraged and fearful, but
But he would leave with a growing church established in that big, wealthy, immoral city. Only God could have done that. God, through wisdom, led Paul to leave and to head toward Antioch and Syria and the church which had originally sent to them. The Lord's plans and purpose for Paul were to plant churches and then to move on in the Lord's timing. Now, it must have been to form sweet relationships with new believers in city after city where he planted churches to move on. But the Lord had set him apart for a special ministry. It required him to say farewell quite often. Oftentimes, a difficult place of ministry becomes eventually a cherished place of ministry as the Lord works over time. Stage just might have seemed easier for Paul at this point in time after the years that he had spent in ministry in Corinth. But just like Paul, you and I must follow the Lord's plans for us. Knowing the Lord's plans, of course, requires wisdom and a heart and a mind that's tuned to listen to the Lord. And that all comes from a life saturated in God's Word and immersed and knit into the godly community of the church where it is wisdom to the God's new plan for Paul included taking Priscilla and Aquila with him on that journey home. The end of verse 18 is really odd. It's verse about Paul's haircut. But it leads us to believe that Paul had perhaps prior to this taken what's called the Nazarite vow that's described in the Old Testament as requiring a person not to cut their hair or drink alcohol for a certain period of time. The vow had ended, and he must have cut his hair there in Sincrea. He would have perhaps saved that shorn hair and taken it back to Jerusalem to the temple and burned it as a thanksgiving offering to the Lord. The ship that Paul sailed on away from the Akai Peninsula stopped along the way in the city of Ephesus. And Paul spoke in the synagogue of the Jews there that he declined to stay very long, promising that if God will, he'd return. In the meantime, he left Priscilla and Aquila there to continue the ministry. We're going to hear more about this next week. Then Paul sailed all the way back to Caesarea. He went up to visit the church in Jerusalem, and then he went north to Antioch, where he must have reported on all that God had done during the year that he had been gone on this second missionary journey. The interesting thing is that Paul he doesn't tell us much about Paul's stay in Antioch. Because by the end of the first phrase, in verse 23, Paul is launching into his third missionary journey, retracing his steps through Galatia and Phrygia to visit the churches that he had Do you see how the Lord provided everything necessary for the gospel ministry in that hard place? God gave partners. He gave convictions. He gave converts. He gave promises. He gave protection. 
Even if we feel alone and feel overwhelmed with gospel ministry and in difficult places, we are not alone. The Lord is with us. The gospel is God's gospel. The church is God's bride. Ministry is the Lord's business. And so He provides. He guides. He brings success or hardship depending on His purposes. And we can trust Him. And I can testify that God has done just that for me in these almost 19 years. Now I don't want to leave. I don't ever want to be Of course, the Lord calls the shots. And whenever he says to go, I'll go. But I'm convinced as I look back over these 19 years of ministry that the Lord can do and has done everything that he did for all, for me, and I know he did for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Though you take us into difficult ministry circumstances, you provide everything we need to do the ministry that you call us to, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, help us to be faithful to you in this place, in this season.